Recording for 97.3 KEPW, Eugene's public radio station. This is Aisha Elliott, and I am Black Girl from Eugene. We are going live on Facebook in three, two, one. And we are also going live on Instagram, Black Girl from Eugene. Follow me there if you can. Let's see here. Connecting. Now we are live. Hello, everybody. It's Aisha, Black Girl from Eugene. It's a Sunday. We are here. Thank you for coming. We're doing something a little new. Before I introduce my guest, I am actually live on Instagram right now for the first time simultaneously recording on uh, Facebook. Actually, this is probably not the first time. This is the second time. We did it last week as well. And I'm doing the audio for my podcast at the same time. This is wild. Okay, so whatever says, whatever happens, happens. That's recorded three different times. You okay with that? Okay. <laughs> so I'm here with Martin Alums, who is representing Lane County Public Health. Um, we are going to get into the weeds of how we're going to talk about the history of black health care and medicine, our lived experiences, scientific background. This is your forte. I want you to, again, tell them of your background and all of these things, but Martin Alums is representing um, Lane County Health Public Health, so we really hope that people who are listening understand that this is for, uh, for the people of Oregon, for the people of Lane County, and also it, this conversation spreads to the nation, to the concerns of black individuals all throughout this nation in our relationship with medicine and with health um, and with the system. So it's a very relevant conversation, and I'm super excited to have it with you. Thank you for being here. Um, so we're, are you fully vaccinated yet? Yes, yeah, so I'm actually fully vaccinated. Okay. I got um, the Moderna vaccine. You got Moderna. Okay. Now, I um, have one shot in with Pfizer, and so we're, si- we're going to sit here with our masks on uh, just to be respectful of the process, <laughs> and that is what you should do, vaccinated or not is wearing your mask. So let's get into it. Now you were going to say you are going to be um, uh, having your phone because some of your notes on your phone. So but please don't be distracted by a demeanor if he's on his phone or if I'm, uh, you know, picking up my notebook or whatever. This is a casual conversation and we want to make sure it's all relative to you. So let's get started. All right. So uh, I want to say, first of all, vaccinations, right? This conversation, clearly we're going to be talking about vaccinations because this is what we're talking about. But we really want to talk about the history of of um, our experience as black folks in the United States with the medical system. Remember, if anyone has followed me before and if you're new to listening to me, I am constantly talking about systematic oppression, racism. I mean, this is what we talk about because this is our daily lives as black folks in the United States. We are constantly negotiating with the system. In a situation like this, COVID, and you have the system giving you <laughs> a solution that is at the same time not historically been to the benefit of black people it causes pause Mm -hmm. it causes fear and I think it's interesting I I think white folks and and people generally don't have context for this history so I would love for you to start and let's talk about how far back it goes Mm -hmm. um, the fear of it we were just talking about how our experience of getting the vaccine being educated Mm -hmm. (laughs) and aware and at the same time wanting to be you know forward thinking and feeling when it comes to getting the community healthy right yeah exactly and i think a part of that too is you know like with my um, my own background you know i'm a public health graduate student you know interested in uh, learning medicine interested in being a physician you know, going forward um you know i felt it's, it's almost like you felt the calling to be you know there for your community right yeah yeah and i and that's tr- and i'm sitting here like being the, in the position i am and i was like dang i'm wrestling with getting the vaccine mm-hmm. and my brother was like get the vaccine get the vaccine and i was like all right slow down like I, i'm trying to think this out like i know the history because of my medical background i actually know this emergency status of the vaccine i was like this can go a lots of different ways, right? I also know we were, it wasn't approved. I also know if things go wrong, they really don't have a solution. I'm like thinking of all of these things and I'm like, okay, but, but the bigger goal, the bigger scheme of things, right? The, the bigger picture. And so when I went to go get my shot, the, I had my first one, I got Pfizer. Oh, I was terrified. And the guy was just looking at me and he was like, what's the matter? Most people are so happy. And I was like, this man has no idea of the context 
of what I'm going through to get here, to sit here and let you inject me with something that I'm hoping is good, right? I was terrified. And then, of course, I got sick. <laughs> After the first shot, I was sick for like four days, which sucked. So the second shot's coming up uh, in next Sunday, and I'm hoping that since I got sick the first time, I won't get sick the second time. I don't even know. But the truth of it is, it was that the process of showing up, looking at the situation, we're all lined up in cars. It was very scary. I was seeing like maybe one other black person. I didn't see nobody of color giving shots. And I'm like frozen. My daughter's over here crying because she's scared of needles. And we were just like, oh Lord. And there was no context. He didn't understand. It wasn't just about the vaccine. There was historical fear mm-hmm. happening. So let's go. What, what we got going on for, where do you want to start off with? Yeah. And so I think Aisha, you know, introduced us perfectly. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of this, uh, even in my own experience, you know, like you can know you can know the the science behind the vaccine. You can know what's going on with um, you know hesitancy. And you can know what's happening with uh, you know the health disparities. But that doesn't change the fact that you know your lived experience is your own lived experience, and that's what's going to be the most important thing that affects your ability to get the shot. You know, whether that's going to you know fit into whatever context you're being in. For me personally, you know, before I started working with uh, Lane County, I was working in the I was working in the pharmacy. I still uh, work in the pharmacy, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was you know a, a two part thing. On the one hand, you know, I'm seeing patients every day, and I want to make sure that those patients are protected for me. You know, I want to make sure I'm not spreading uh, the the vaccine or the virus. On the other hand, you know, I have a lot of different positions. I apologize. You know, I'm going to adjust my mask. A little no, bit. you're good. You're good. Yeah. I know. And like, on, you know, on the other hand of things, it's like knowing that, you know, we have all these health disparities that we face. There's, an, you know, that creates another situation for me to get the vaccine. But the third aspect that, you know, I don't really think about is, you know, what's that going to look like for me, you know, taking, taking time off work? What's that going to look like for, you know, somebody who needs to, um, needs to you know get some child care for their kids so that they mm-hmm. can take care of them mm-hmm. you know, it's going to look different for a lot of different people so i felt it's important for us to go back and contextualize all of this in relation to you know how we've experienced um, medicine you know just as a people mm-hmm. uh, not just as a people but as individuals as well and so i think what i wanted to do is i wanted to start off with uh just talking a little bit about what the healthcare system looked like when we were really, you know, really just getting over here to America, uh, you know, before race-based science was ever a thing. Mm, Because there was actually a time in the U.S. around the 1700s where, uh, you know, even though black people were being brought here, you know, against our will, you know, we had folks who were enslaved, there was no scientific racism. None of that stuff was real. We were still in flux. We were still trying to figure out, you know, what was going on. Uh, slavery as a slavery as a uh, economic force hadn't really been built at the time. I want you to hear that slavery as an economic force, because uh, when we come to this medical, when we're coming to medical history, economics is tied directly to this disparity, this fear, and the treatment mm-hmm. of black people all along this exactly. way. So, I mean, you we have to remember how it's tied together, so it can get very deep. Go ahead. Yeah. And so this story really starts from a story of science. It was like, like I said before, you know, uh, when, we're coming from, when we're coming from our ships and we were being forced over here, we race, you know, scientific racism didn't exist. So the whole purpose of scientific racism was to actually justify slavery. That's right. That's why it exists. There was a uh, physician, his uh, name was Dr. Cartwright. He was born in 1793. And he was actually one of those physicians that was at the forefront of pseudoscience, which means fake science. Mm-hmm. And he actually coined the term, it's called dystasia Ethiopia. And another term for that is, you know, common language. We, we use the word rascal or rascality. Mm-hmm. And what it was is he coined it as a mental illness, which was partial insensitivity to skin, lesions or, you know, little injuries across your skin, and the appearance of being half asleep. The other more, uh, important thing that he said was, you know, they had a propensity to destroy white slave owners' properties. So a lot of these things that we're looking at, you know, they, like, like I said, you know, Dr. Cartwright, his goal was to keep that slave oppressed and to keep them working. On top of that, you know, because slavery was being uh, established as an economic force, your goal was to keep people working. 
And so what that means on the other end is you have to keep them healthy enough to work. So that's interesting that what you're saying is like, if you're talking about, if you're thinking about what that really means is that the person of authority has created um, scientific, and I'm air quoting the hell out of scientific, um, observation about the behavior of uh, oppressed and enslaved people and causing it to be, and, and linking it to being uh, uh, reason out, like, like causality mm -hmm. for, for health disparity and for inferiority. Um, and at the same time, be having to keep the commodity healthy enough to, to stay in check mm -hmm. and keep working. Mm -hmm. So if you want to think about how that really, like, I, and every time you say this I'm historically, I want what people to think when they're thinking about this historically is like, I wanted to, you to go forward contextually about how historically means time, but this behavior, think about what is being said to us and what is actually being, how it's being re-articulated throughout time. It's like we are still talking about the same thing. Where black folks right now, post-enslavement, in terms of sh shackles, are still having to fight that narrative mm -hmm. of that, that, that as human beings, we have the same and or, um, we have the same, if not more, uh, sensitivity to our environment, sensitivity, to, and all of that has been, has been deemed mm -hmm. not scientifically true in the past, right? And it has never really, I mean, not never, but it's very slowly as time goes on, the, the African body, the black body, the post-slavery body has not been treated in medicine with respect, really. It's been utilized as tools to learn from and at the same time kind of shut down in terms of like the actual causality of how, how the injury is happening, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that it, it's, all, it's a gaslighting for black folks and for really for white folks who want to understand and know what's going on. There's a disconnect. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to keep no, doing, like, no, I'm connecting it for folks. No, I'm connecting it no, for this me. this is great. Yeah, go ahead. And I think, you know, Just we can it. really bounce off of what Aisha is saying off of this too, because, you know, 17, you know 1700s, like I said, you know, as you're getting towards the end of the 1700s, that's when folks became interested in establishing um, scientific racism as a thing, because that's when they realized, okay, you know, we have all these people who are oppressed, we can make a lot of money off of them, we need to make sure that they stay oppressed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that created that uh, two-tiered healthcare system that, uh, you know, um, existed back then. But when I talk about this two-tier health system, really what I mean is there's a two-tier health system for blacks. Mm. So what we're looking at is we're looking at a three-tier health system. You know, you're looking at health for, you're looking at health for um, the white people who lived back in the time. You're also looking at health for the black people who lived at the time. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at health for the black people who were enslaved at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So three different levels of healthcare. You know, uh, when you're looking at the level of healthcare for, you know, black people who weren't enslaved, they didn't have rights just like, uh, you know, the black people who were enslaved. Right. Yes, they were free, but it was very, 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 very limited. And so a lot of these, uh, a lot of healthcare was actually tied to a plantation. And so even if you ended up, you know, uh, breaking free and being a member of society, mm -hmm. you oftentimes found yourself going back to these plantations because the physicians that took care of you worked on these plantations, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of hospitals were actually established on these plantations as well. And so this is going to bring us into our next topic, which is uh, Marion Sims. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I'm just like, did y'all hear what the man said? Like he said that the healthcare, the systems were created on plantations. Okay, move, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so we already know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Dr. Uh, James Marion Sims. This person is important for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons why they're important is because a lot, pretty much all of America at a time, saw him as the father of modern gynecology. Mm, yes. And so a lot it's of true. a lot of the procedures that you know we use today were built off of the research that he did. Mm -hmm. But there's also another story who he actually performed these experiments on mm. and the uh, the struggle that they actually had to go through because Dr. Sims was a slave owner. Uh, on top of that he was also a uh, plantation physician. And so he was in the market of treating slaves for profit, that mm. was that was what he did. But like I said before, you know, in this three-tiered health system, there is a lot of differences in what healthcare looked like at the time. So back then, 
you know, a lot of women actually suffered from uh, what's called. Let me give me one moment because I don't want to mess up the name. I know it. I know it. This this dude in history is so horrific. Um, like if you look him up, the things that happened and he did to black women, to enslaved women, it's it, it <laughs> it's so horrific. I mean, I can't even imagine the pain. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Like physical pain. No, okay, and this this is an important point. What Aisha's bringing up with uh, with the physical pain, because I'm gonna be uh, talking about this a little bit later mm -hmm. on this person. Mm -hmm. and so it's called a uh, vesicle vaginal fistula, which is an abnormal opening between the bladder of the vagina that results in like continuous uh, urinary incontinence. Mm -hmm. So basically, what you're seeing is you have a tear and you're constantly peeing out of that tear. Mm -hmm. And the big issue with that, on top of all the infections and you know all the disease states that it can cause, mm -hmm. was that it was socially unacceptable. Right. And so a lot of folks who, a lot of women who had this um, illness, were ended, you know, ended up being um, sequestered or quarantined or put in these places uh, away from the rest of society. Mm -hmm. And so this was a, this was a, a illness or uh, something that was happening to a lot of women, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it was something that nobody really had a treatment for. Okay. At the same time, you're working against forces of society as well. So back then, it was really considered improper for physicians to you know, be looking at genitalia. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of physicians didn't like to work on women. On top of not liking to work on women, they didn't, they didn't know what they were looking like. Mm -hmm. And so what they would do, they go in like this, you know, turn away or put on a cloth or right. you know, do something like that. Right. Which, while it helps for modesty, it's not very effective when you're doing a medical procedure. Right, right, right. And so, with this three-tiered medical system, what Sims was able to do was he was able to see the black body in a way that no other physician was really able to do if they weren't working on um, if they weren't working on black women. He created the, uh, or he invented what's called the Sims position. And so um, some folks who, you know, went to uh, do their gynecologist within the you know, 70s or 80s, they might remember a position where, you know, you had to lay off to your side. Mm -hmm. That position was actually created because of the work that he did on, um, on the slaves. On top of that, there's another procedure um, that, the actual procedure that they use to correct the, uh, the fistulas. Mm -hmm. He actually developed that procedure by performing these experiments on these slaves. Now, without painkillers. This part is important because <laughs> it was without painkillers, but on top of that, he used something else. And it's called, um, I don't know, some of y'all might have it, morphine. Mm -hmm. And so basically what he was doing at the time was, now he wasn't giving them painkillers, mm -hmm. but he was also addicting them Addict to morphine yeah. so they would continue to come back and they would, uh, Eventually, what ended up happening was so many uh, assistants and so many townspeople were rejecting, you know, this procedure and uh, everything that was happening that it ended up uh, being the women holding each other down while he was performing these surgeries. And so it's incorrectly assumed that it was the father of modern gynecology. It's actually mothers of modern gynecology, if you ask me. And wow. I, I just want to, I just want to like, take a second to, like, realize the trauma, uh, you know, uh, generational trauma. Cause you gotta think about like, when you're having stories like this, this is enslaved folks doing this work. And it went on for, it wasn't like it happened for like five days or five years. It, w it went on and on and on and then passed down, right? And so then it became a practice and then it became researched on and then it became expanded upon. And then, so you, you when you're talking about having, uh, you know, when you can just imagine having ins uh, other enslaved people holding you down to get these horrific procedures done, and we won't talk about why the damage was so profound it, within enslaved women, within the vaginal, you know, uh, um, the issues that were going on to have these, t these levels of, of infection, to have these levels of injury, to have these levels of health issues um, is a whole nother conversation. But uh, just to imagine what the conversation, what the generational trauma must be to prepare your daughter or to prepare your sister or your your aunt is for talking to their sister about what what this looks like to go to this physician mm -hmm. right yeah and then you have children and pass them down the knowledge of what it means to go to these physicians mm -hmm. and you don't have a choice because mm -hmm. you're you have infection 
You have fever. You can't work. You're going to be sold. You're going to be killed. You're going to be. You see what I'm saying? So it's like we have to like get the whole context in because I know you're doing the scientific piece and that's that's excellent. But I want people to quite understand as we're going forward, trusting the system or at least listening to the system and going, we are we still have this faith that the bigger picture is that we need to stay well and be well, right? Mm-hmm. But this is literally the courage that it takes for our my mother's mother to the story that she had told would have told her, and for her to go into medicine, which she did, and you know, and a lot of the, the black folks were told, you have two things you can do: you can teach, right, or you can be a nurse. Those are the two things you can do, right? At, oh, later, and so when uh, in the early thirties, uh, forties, you know, that's what you you had these two career choices. My family had a lot of education and a lot of healthcare, mm-hmm. but that, but it was really because to make sure that we had someone to know what was actually going on, someone to be able to go around and say, is this good? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if you just think about the generational stories it took to get another person of your family to go in there and do that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, to me, I just, I can't, I mean, just thinking about it, I'd be like, because now we have these choices, right? Yeah. But for me to think of having to t- hold my daughter down so, this, so people can literally torture her, um, whoa. That's all I'm saying. Okay, sorry. Keep going. Okay. Yeah, no, no, this is this is good stuff, and this is important. What Aisha's saying too, because we would have never even known that this stuff happened unless uh, without hearing from uh, three slaves. Uh, the names were Lucy, Anarka, and Betsy, mm-hmm. and they were forced to have you know multiple multiple operations without anesthesia, and this was at a time when anesthesia was available. You know, Anarka. She had over 30 procedures done. And she had the resilience to go through those 30 procedures, even though she was being forced to go through those procedures. And Mm. so, you know, when I like to, when I think about health disparities and I think about health equity, on the one hand, I think of it as, you know, uh, an importance of access to procedures. On the other hand, though, I also think of it as an access to information. Mm -hmm. And so, when I look at the aftermath of this, you know, when you when you look at the medical community, it's it, there's a lot of I don't want to say it. There's there's a little bit of like concern in the sense that these ideas that you know Sims had in his projects, mm-hmm. they were hidden. You know, when uh, when the townspeople, you know, were really really struggling with the fact that he was doing these um, experiments on slaves, what he did was he went into his journals and he removed the fact that they were black. He just changed them and told, told people that they were white. Mm. You know, he did he did countless things like that to cover up the fact that you know a lot of the all of the women in this experiment were unwilling and they didn't want really want to be participants. You know, they didn't Some have a choice were, either. Yeah, unwilling, like you said, yeah, mm-hmm. forced to be there. Mm-hmm. So he just changed the data. Yeah, I mean, simple as that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what's actually happening now is, which is really cool, is um, over. On the other side of the country, uh, we actually have a whole entire coalition on creating a bunch of monuments and uh, a bunch of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I think uh, one, two or three of them are actually going to be statues. Mm-hmm. And then another one is going to be like a, uh, a nice little documentary on those three. Oh, and, oh, uh, oh the, the enslaved women. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And so all of those things are actually planned to come out um, in May of this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's beautiful. I mean, some some acknowledgement at least, you know. Okay, go ahead. Now, so before I uh, bring this back into talk about vaccines, I'm going to jump forward a little bit and talk about genetic testing. Mm. Because something that Aisha has mentioned before and something that I mentioned is super, super important. Like I said, uh, information is just as important as access. And the stories that we tell each other are important as well, which mm-hmm. is what Aisha mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And so, this really created kind of an interesting situation when you look at the when you look at what was going on in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So, as uh, some of you may know who are watching right now, uh, the big disease that uh, has been affecting the black community that we heard about in the seventies was uh, what do you call it? You talking about syphilis or the no, not syphilis. Which one are you talking about? I'm talking um, about sickle cell. Sickle cell. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, syphilis was in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, syphilis. Sorry. 
<laughs> and syphilis, we, we, have a, we have an interesting relationship with syphilis. It's, it's long-standing, and there's a lot of different issues with it. Yeah, but this that's one's the one that people always uh, always focus on because mm-hmm. of Tuskegee Air, like, uh, yeah. because But we got more to talk about than that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No worries. Okay. No worries. All good. Yeah. So sickle cell is an interesting disease because sickle cell really marked when we uh, started to learn about you know genetic diseases and really started to make you know genetic testing mainstream and so to understand that you have to understand how we really came to understand sickle cell so at the time you know we're looking at the 60s the 60s and the 70s you know um, we're uncovering a lot of research and a lot of uh, data on experiments that are happening in the black community experiments that are happening without informed consent and experiments that are just happening you know uh, from the US government. Mm-hmm. When we look at sickle cell, it's the pathway we came to, to connect sickle cell as a black disease is really, really interesting. Because we know that there are, uh, are about five main types of sickle cell disease. And four of those we know came from Africa. Mm-hmm. And we know that it spread through multiple communities. And we know that in America, uh, like I said, we have all of them because you know we have a lot of uh, immigration. We have a lot of folks who come from different places. Mm-hmm. Now, the most common cases in uh, America are called like the benign, the Senegal, and the Bantu uh, types of sickle cell. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about remembering the names. The most important thing is you have to remember that they're different types, and that these different types show up in different people. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so. What researchers really found out uh, later is that sickle cell appears in lots of different types of folks, and what connects them is that it's a um, is that it's genetically beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're a carrier of the sickle cell trait, right, what that means is you know some of your blood cells might not have that normal shape, but you have an advantage if you're living in an area that's running rampant with malaria. You know, if you live in any of those places, you're not going to die from the disease. And that's what's important. And so a lot of folks who uh, were uh, growing up in the places that had a lot of malaria, they were developing the sickle cell trait. Right. Mm-hmm. So sickle cell, like just so briefly to describe, your red blood cell normally is, is shaped like a disc. And in sickle cell, your red blood cell is shaped like a sickle. It's like a little crescent moon. And so it doesn't take in all of the, the benefits of having a full-sized <laughs> you know, a red blood cell, there's, there's diminished um, um, absorption of certain things. But like you're saying, living in a place where malaria is, is rampant, it's actually an adaptation that will save you <laughs> from, so that you don't die from, uh, from malaria. So I just wanted to explain what the sickle cell was about. Good. That's great. And so from the 20s to the 40s, scientists and public health agencies, we're talking across the world, not just in the U.S., they were uh, conducting research left and right, and they were trying to essentially link the disease with the cause. Because in public health, you know, in order to find the best um, treatment for a population, you have to find the source of the disease, or you have to find the source of what it, you know, wherever it's coming from. And so, what was really interesting was how they did the research. They included everyone except for academics from the black community. So from the 1920s to 1940s, we didn't have black researchers who were involved in these discussions. There were black researchers who were studying sickle cell, but again, they weren't in these discussions. And so (laughs) in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when it came time to actually, you know, address the issue, they had all this research and all this data on where the disease was coming from but they had no input from the actual community that they thought the disease was coming from. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? In terms of everything? <laughs> I'm sorry. When it comes to, like, when I, you got to look at this. It's a, this is all racist, right? In a big, in a massive, massive way, right? And, it's the, the, and the, I want to say this, like, as soon as you're saying, like, as you're talking, and as, a, as an educator, as an inclusive race and inclusion diversity, all an educator. I just, as you're talking, the ringing of the conversation that is the same damn thing that I am talking about on a regular about 
understanding that the community has the answers, understanding that the community has the efficacy, understanding that the community has a very, very, very uh, high value in the process of learning these things or, or uh, creating these things that will actually help that community. And most of the communities affected will tell you, ain't nobody come around here asking me anything. Like, I'm taking this medicine, but I never saw anybody come through here. You know what I mean? And this, and it's very real. And so you're talking about the 20s to the 40s. You know, it's 80 years ago. It's 90, 100 years ago, right? Oh, my God, it's 100 years ago. <laughs> but I say, oh, my God, meaning that like, my mother is 80. You know what I mean? So this is not, although it's, this, is, this is within, a, you know, generations of, of, um, of change. But at the same time, the the change that's the part where i'm trying to get to where it really is like where did the change happen and i don't i i as a complete critic even though i love what we have done with medicine i'm actually not a, a anti-medicine person at all um you know my nursing degree is absolutely something i love i always think about going back and getting my you know going back and going to medical school and becoming a physician of some sort but this, so I'm not against it, but I, I am against the rearticulation of racism through system, the, the systematic racism that is being, uh, that's coming through in our healthcare system. And when you just say it's like, the, the, they didn't even include the experts from the community in which the disease is most rampant, right? Mm -hmm. All right, sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm almost happy to be like, do you hear that, people? That's all good. Do okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Like I was saying, all, all of this stuff is important. All of this stuff is important. Right. And so, really, an important thing that you have to understand with research, you know, as we're having this conversation, is that research doesn't start and stop. It mm -hmm. builds off of each other and builds and builds and builds. Right. And so, in, when we got to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when it came time to let everybody know, like, hey, this is what's going on in the community, what they realized was we don't have any input in the community, any input from this community. We don't really know, you know how to introduce this topic to the community either. And so what they ended up doing was the Black Panthers saw this as an opportunity to really step in and take leadership. And um, community-based organizations, or uh, CBOs is what we like to call them in, uh, in systems, you might think of them as names, like the NAACP or the Black Panthers or, uh, you know, your, your, your local nonprofit or just the group of people that you're getting together. You know, community-based organization doesn't have to be as complex as, you know, a, a 501c3 nonprofit. Right. It can just be a group of people getting together. And our community, Whitebird, I mean, honestly, like yeah. community, uh, Cahoots, mm -hmm. community solutions to community issues. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is huge. And those things have always been huge in our community and also in the American healthcare system as a way for folks who are experiencing disparities to address the issue. Mm. And so what we got, what we really got to see was we got to see what the Black Panthers looks like in action on a media campaign. And so they went ahead, they took control of this, you know, um, they made sure to reach out to all their different communities. They made sure that, you know, all, they made sure that all the black folks across the United States understood what was happening but they also framed it in a context. They wanted to make sure that the rest of America knew what we were, what we were seeing wasn't something new. This was the same story of black healthcare in America. What they did was they combined, they combined the sickle cell genetic disease with the entire history of um, black people in America. Mm -hmm. And it was powerful. And it was very, it was really effective too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What ended up happening between um, '67 and '72 was we saw, you know, we saw Nixon's speech, you know, where he came up and he, you know, talked about eradicating, eradicating um, a sickle cell from the black community. But really, what Nixon was, uh, you know, meaning from all of that was he was like, you know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to use this as a starting point to try and address the disparities of the black community. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of different folks kind of using you know, sickle cell as the place to come in and springboard change, mm -hmm. which created a lot of good, but at the same time, you know, when you're, when you're doing you know, massive, you know, massive things like that, mm -hmm. you, know, you can always, you, you often overlook things and you often overlook people. And so this is where the other side of sickle cell comes into play. There's five different types of sickle cell that are out there. 
apnea. Mm -hmm. And there are three types that are super, super common here in the United States. And when you're looking at those different types, those different types actually happen in different communities and in different races. Mm. But at the time, sickle cell was being super, you know, wholly underfunded. You know, um, when you looked at uh, diseases in the white community that had uh, similar, um, similar states like cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. we're talking like six, seven million versus a hundred thousand. So, when the government came in and they started funding sickle cell research, that opened up a whole mode of uh, mobilization of a lot of different things. But that also added in something, uh, you know, the genetic testing because sickle cell is a genetic disease and that's really where we parsed out and understood the fact that we're looking at genetics. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Now remember, back in the past, you know, in the antebellum, in antebellum slavery up to the 1900s and really through the 50s and 60s, folks were interested in proving race in science, you know, they were interested in proving scientific racism. And so what genetic tests essentially did was they created a way for people to also link genes to race. Mm -hmm. And so it unintentionally uh, reinforced this idea that you have the, that, you know, if you're of a certain race, you're more likely to have a certain disease. And the reason why that's important isn't important isn't necessarily from a medical standpoint it's important from a societal structural standpoint because that's how they build you know they build your society around protecting your people and so what that looked like for the black community was you know after the panthers finished their campaign was that looked like a lot of genetic testing within the black community that also looked like uh you know a lot of pop-up clinics where they were focused on screening for those specific traits and at the time, because you know, research builds off of itself, we didn't necessarily have a good understanding of sickle cell. And so what we thought was that people who were um, carriers of sickle cell also had sickle cell. And you know, there, there are cases where like a rare, um, where like a rare form of disease might uh, appear in someone, but again, it's super, super, super rare. And so, oh no, I was just going to be like, I think when we get into like the scientific part of it, I think it's important that, to understand that it's not, although we're talking about sickle cell at this moment, that this is like, it's not in a vacuum. This does, there's a plethora of health, disparity, health issues and disparities that, uh, that were assigned to black people in terms of, of black lives, the way that black people lived their lives. It was, and and not correctly assigned in terms of, like you were even saying, with genetics uh, being what it is, and at the same time assigning that, that genetic uh, deeper, de, um, uh, what the word, what's the word? Uh, the, the genetic uh, predisposition um, as inferior, right? And so I think it's important to understand as we're having this conversation in context of, of um, just black folks and uh, trusting and, and working and, and living within and in, in context to this health system is to, to know that even while we're talking about sickle cell in itself, the idea is that there were, there are, were a plethora of, of issues that were going on that were being assigned to, for, because of weaker, and I'm air quoting weaker or inferior genetic predisposition, which was false. And so, and, and, it, and it fed to the formula of, of com uh, commercialized medicine and insurance and all of this, to be the money, to be the research, the money, the money, the money. That if we start talking about what it meant for, for the diseases to be, to be played out and flourish in this particular community versus the community that was of profit or that was producing profit, is, it gets very complex. It really is the basis of the continuation of the oppression plus the ga you know, gathering the money plus getting the research mm -hmm. and it just became the same rearticulated formulation of the clinics on the plantations, right? It's just a different, uh, to me, the way I see it, it's just a different version of this, and it continues on. Hence, as we're going forward, the reason why this is not at all, this is not at all something that, um, that is not, uh, that the black people are not aware of. It's the same thing as being enslaved people on a plantation. How much choice do you have in the matter, mm -hmm. right? When you start to at, tell your children, you, you tell the kids, 
grow up and be a doctor, go be go be a lawyer, go and it's because it's not it's it's not that the information is that or that the background system is is um, even being clear to us on a pamphlet of everything that you're getting that you're getting here, mm-hmm. right? This is historic and it, and it continues. And I think I've said it before on my show. Where or maybe it was in one of my classes. Like where in the system ever have you seen a systematic change in the approach to medicine with black people? Like they're saying, you know what? This isn't working. This is harmful. We're going to stop. <laughs> Not stop. De- deconstruct, completely tear down, and we're going to do this again, right? With the information we do know that, that you know, and then we're going to go forward and we're going to include the community, we're going to include the physicians and researchers, and we're going to do, it's never happened. Like, to this day, it's not happened. Systematically, completely deconstruct, it hasn't happened. So I, so in that, in my, in the way that I see this, is that when we're building on these things, we have to look at what has been taken down so that we understand that what's actually moving forward is it just a rearticulation of the same shit, or is it something that is going to actually um, really be something that is is uh, for for the people? So I have a question for you as we're going forward because we're almost out of time. We only have like fifteen more minutes. I'm wondering, like, with, with that being said, and we're talking about vaccines, mm-hmm. and we're talking about you know people in the healthcare system now. I mean, we black folks go to doctors they they we all get anesthesia now <laughs> we all get anesthesia um we we but there's there's like i cannot i cannot actually um get into the numbers of how many much pe- how many people of color are grossly mistreated still and when i say we all get anesthesia that's actually not even really true it's mandated that we do but the the even to this day in 2021, there's arguments of the thresh pain threshold of black people, black women in labor. You know, there's, there's an yeah. argument whether or not they feel pain the same way that white folks feel pain. It's 2021. So with that being said, in terms of vaccine, and I'm looking at my 81-year-old mother, and I'm going, now I can take whatever comes through this vaccine, but can she? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is this something that we do in terms of like what the history that you're looking at how, moving forward and coming through to what we're talking about right now in Lane County with vaccinations to, to have the black community trust this, right? Mm-hmm. Like where in the narrative can we actually say that this is what, ha- this is where you gotta trust this, you gotta trust it, move forward, go ahead and get that shot. To me, it's hard to find. It's just like to know that we have, we've been doing the research, we've been doing the research, they have been doing the research, um, you know, legally, we can all go legally, but but for me, I mean, that doesn't really help us out either as black folks, right? So so give us something that we can like hold on to in advancements that that benefit us to, to participate in this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're both vaccinated, I'm partially, he's fully, so let's, you yeah. know, yeah, so it was a thing, but. <laughs> and so we're gonna be going into, you know, a lot more detail next week about, you know, disparities and a lot of the different initiatives that, you know, we're seeing. Um, as well, mm. but you know, I'm happy to talk. Uh, happy to talk about those right now. And okay, so, but wait. not not in the sense that you think I'm about to. Okay, okay, okay. I'm like, don't so, worry about that. To do yeah. what you can do with yeah. you. Okay, yeah. and this is the part so, two. And this is the part one of two different, uh, three different, a series of three. So please, let's go. Yeah. Okay. And so to understand, like, first off, to understand you know, how these initiatives work, you have to understand how the system has changed because the system has actually changed okay. in, in certain ways and it stayed the same in certain ways. Okay. So when we're looking at the other, you know, the other side, you know, take uh, removing the social context and looking just at the laws that were created. A lot of these laws have to do with pharmacy because you know, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, they're ultimately the ones who are, uh, who are gonna be dealing with you know, whatever fallout happens because of the drugs that they approve and whatnot. And so, what um, really, in the 60s and 70s, you know, we saw um, laws like the, uh, uh, what is it called, the Kervin Dewar um, Act, mm-hmm. which uh, mandated that, essentially, we had to prove a drug's effectiveness before that drug could be put to market. And so that was really, you know, uh, one, of, one of the first uh, goalposts that were put in that place. And the reason why you're seeing uh, a little bit of that, uh, 10-year timeline in traditional um, traditional drugs. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you know, we look at the 70s and the 80s. There were even more uh, laws that were put in place, and we had uh, what's called informed consent. So, if you ever know, if you go to a, a 
medical provider's office or if you participate in the study, there's a paper that they give you with a whole bunch of information on it. That information actually tells you what they're gonna do, why they're gonna do it, and what it's what they expect it will do to your body. Mm -hmm. Because we created a bunch of laws that essentially mandate that all researchers and all folks who are doing you know, therapeutic interventions have to tell you what they're doing to you. At the same time, you know, that's still that doesn't uh, change the fact that we have like health disparities and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing Really, we're seeing a lot of black people, uh, uh, black providers, you know, jump on and take the reins of this direction. That's excellent. Yeah, and so one of the things that y'all might not know is uh, when you're looking at the COVID vaccine, you know, historic, uh, historically, yes, we have not had access to information. We haven't been included at the table, mm. except when it comes to help another race with COVID. They kind of changed that. Okay. You know, not only were not only was one of the vaccines done in a continent that's uh, majority black, you know, they really, really went above and beyond to try and recruit and make sure that we had uh, adequate representation in these studies. That's really important because remember before I talked about you know the sickle cell and the five different types. And if you're not looking at different types of black people as well, so like you know myself, I'm Haitian. Mm -hmm. Aisha, you yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's an enslaved background. I have mm -hmm. no idea. I think yeah. Nigerian and, and mm -hmm. Togo and all, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of different things that might be mixing in there. Mm -hmm. And so we have that for these vaccines. And so they have that data. They have folks who you know who are willing and who have filled out that informed consent form. Mm -hmm. Who want to be a part of that? Mm -hmm. That's the that's probably the most important thing I, that we have data. I think, yeah. I, oh, so I don't want to interrupt you, but I want you to talk, if you know, to talk about that, because a lot of people were super skeptical of mm -hmm. all the people testing in Africa. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, they're testing in Africa, y'all, and it like went back to this trauma mm -hmm. of, you know, the enslaved people coming in and being um, guinea pigs, if you will, mm -hmm. for the situation. So tell me, you're telling, you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that, the, that it was intentional to go to Africa mm -hmm. to test in Africa to give us a, a broader spectrum, is that what you're saying, of a body type reaction? I don't understand, what, what tell me what you're, and if I'm getting it wrong, no, 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 no. it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I can be wrong, no, no, it's no, totally wrong. No, <laughs> this is, just really helps explain how the system's changed. Mm -hmm. So remember, I told you that, you know, now we, we put a bunch of laws in place that uh, make it on average about 10 years for somebody to, uh, you know, take a drug and bring it to market. Right. But the other side of that that we don't really pay attention to is that it takes 10 years because it costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so those 10 years, you know, part of it is designed for safety, but the other part of those 10 years is designed so that someone can effectively put a drug to market. Because mm -hmm. you know, if you can't pay to put a drug to market, right. you're not really gonna, you know, you're not really gonna get anywhere. Right. On top of that too, when you're looking at, you know, these different uh, pharmaceutical companies and whatnot, the government, uh, you know, gets to say who gets to put their drug in the market, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily get to say who has the right to approve a drug or who has the right to work on a drug or anything like that. And so in the scientific community, what you really see is you see a lot of information actually hidden behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your uh, laboratory might have a ton of data on, you know, a certain type of vaccine, but they're not going to release it because they want to get paid. You know, they got they wow. gotta put food on the table and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so what changed this time around is that every organization in the world got together mm -hmm. and they all agreed that we cannot have these paywalls in front of us. And so traditionally where you might have 100 to 1,000 people working on a drug, we now have 10 million people working on a drug. And when you have 10 million hands and endless finances, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it no longer takes 10 years to make a drug. It takes the amount of time that it takes to complete a study. So this is the amount of the education you're talking about the emergency, mm -hmm. uh, the emergency release of these yeah. vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so this is really what you know, really what's involved in that re emergency release. This isn't, you know, America deciding, hey, we're better than everybody, so we're going to do this ourselves. This is every single organization in the world saying, hey, we got to work this. on vaccines. We need to protect our people. We need you to work on this vaccine. We know we put these laws in place before, but we need to do whatever we can do to get you all to work with each other. 
And that's what it was about. It was about creating a community of scientists that were willing to push this vaccine forward. So to take the money out of it and mm -hmm. talk, put the people before the money mm -hmm. in a way. <laughs> exactly. But uh, interesting. Okay, so that that's actually really great information. Um, and I want to know as we're talk as we're going forward. That's excellent information about the vaccine. And I know we were talking about the history of, of black folks. Uh, well, the history um, with black folks in the medical system. I would love to know, like as you were talking about, I know you were talking about sickle cell, which I, I don't know that a lot of people knew there was five different types of sickle cell. Um, and I know you had a history, I mean, you have a list of history. So, so sickle cell is one. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that was historically? Uh, let me check the list, because I think <laughs> what, uh, I, <laughs> I, think what I was going to focus on. Brother came with a list, y'all. There's a list. <laughs> yeah, what I was planning on focus on was the experiments that they did for therapeutic benefit for others. Yeah. And then you know, some of the different laws and whatnot. So the so, therapeutic benefit for other people besides black folks. Yeah, besides right. black folks. Yeah. Um, let's see what we And so that was gynecology you had down. Yeah, gynecology. Um, you had radiation. Radiation. Smallpox was a, a big one. A smallpox, oh, mm -hmm. right, the testing of, okay. Mm -hmm. Smallpox, and this was, like I said, to being tested on black folks for the benefit and therapy of other people beside black folks. Mm -hmm. What else? Let's see. Pretty much uh, syphilis, of mm -hmm. course, right. you know that one. Everyone knows the syphilis experiments. And there's actually a book that you can go and get if you want to learn more about this, because this is really important where I started from. It's a book called Medical Apartheid. If you look that up, mm -hmm. it's about you know 600 pages. They have an audio book as well. If you uh, want to listen, about a day worth of listening. Um, she act, uh, the author who essentially wrote all of this, she was the one who really helped me to understand all of this. And she goes through pretty much everything from antebellum period up through sickle cell. Oh, and okay. so, Really what, um, what I have from that is I have some of the other things that she doesn't go into, like uh, you know, how research has worked to undo some of the damage to um, all of that. For instance, like um, in two we stopped prosecuting um, folks who you know, committed those medical atrocities and mm -hmm. stuff in 2007. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that you know, we're not prosecuting people who do those things in the future. That was just the last recorded incident that we oh, know of. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Go so, ahead. you know, it's more it's more stuff like that. So, if you want uh, more information about any of those things, you know, like drop something in the comment section, and I will uh, I'll answer those questions for you. Mm -hmm. But in terms of you know genetic diseases and things like that, really, as a people, what we're trying where we're trying to get where we're trying to move to is we're trying to move to a place where folks understand that we should never lead a conversation with the disease being the problem. Right. Because that's usually isn't that issue. Usually the issue is with access or the issues with you know some other uh, co-founding factor. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we're leading with those conversations instead. Because you know with, uh, with sickle cell, like you said, these folks weren't included in the conversation. And then they led with how can we give you access? And so even though they weren't included in the conversation, we were able to get the Black Panthers, you know, involved, and they were the ones who led and changed the system. And you know, the truth is, it's like if you're going, if you're leading with, if you're actually leading, um, if you're actually leading with the disease, the issue that I have is that um, I think it just cut us off on, on Instagram. Sorry, y'all. Anyway, so the leading, the when you have that type of issue for me, it's like the it's still problematic because especially with the black community specifically and i even want to spread this to indigenous and uh, people of color is that it becomes an issue of that community when that really is not the truth like it may be affecting that community deeply but if you're not looking at the co the co uh founding issues that's not the word co-founding what's the word uh, 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 the the background the the, the 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 environment the the you know um all of the other issues that can be confounded with the with the disease, you're not actually looking at the whole picture, and you're and to me, you're coming from again that pseudoscience, right? Because if you're, you're going at it in the wrong direction completely, and when I think about that, is like when I think about someone was mentioning that people are going there's the public uh, comments. Now, what what this is about um, that there is going to declaring racism a public health crisis. That's great. That's great. Um, 
And, and I appreciate the fact that we've gotten there in 2021. You know, I'm a little salty, but we're here, right? But then but at that point, to me, that's a big, that's a big leap for the system, right? Considering that um, racism means that now we're going to have to look at the oppressive, the who is actually per, uh, propagating racism, right? We're going to have to look at the white community. We're going to look at the systematic structure that has put this in place. And when it comes to the healthcare um, industry, uh, because it's an industry, you know, um, or the healthcare complex, it's like this, this idea that we have to um, start at the bigger picture is, is, I think, kind of revolutionary in a way. It's not something that is generally done for the black community because the black communities, that stamp that has been given to us that our health issues, our, our relationship to the system is our issue and not the system oppressing the community, right? And so reversing that narrative is really, really key to actually moving forward in this, in uh, connecting healthcare um, access and resource, right? Um, I work on an equity advising board, well, I work with a perinatal um, group here uh, in Eugene called Nurturely, and we are um, basically, the entire board is, is multicultural BIPOC, board, uh, the executive director is white, but all the programs are led for and by, right? So um, I'm learning more and more about the atrocities of maternal health for black people in this country, with it even being that it doesn't even matter what social economic uh, status you are at, the, the racism is still causing maternal morbidity to be so high, like, like in New York, 12 times higher than white folks, no matter what social economic status you're in. That's straight racism, right? And so when we're looking at this situation and, we're, and I'm looking at what she's saying, it's like, oh, we're gonna do health, uh, you know, um, declare it public health crisis. Amazing, amazing. That goes to more what you're talking about, mm -hmm. reversing the narrative, mm -hmm. talking about how, it, how did we get here, yeah. you know? It's, we're, we're not just getting to like that level. I'm talking, it's to the level where not only are they, you know, with them declaring this as a, uh, you know, declaring this as a public health crisis. Not only are we getting to a point where you know we're opening up different funding uh, streams and you know mobilizing our community-based organizations, which by the way were started within the Black community in the first place. Mm -hmm. We're also seeing our Black researchers and our Black um, our Black physicians and you know our other Black professionals be the leaders of design as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, next week I plan on introducing our even next week or the week after that, I plan on talking a little bit about you know what's going on in mental health. But there's a, a physician, her name is Dr. Ayana Jordan. She's actually doing a lot of work over uh, in addiction medicine mm -hmm. by designing a completely new system in New Haven. And so it's not, you know, when we're talking about COVID-19, we know that COVID doesn't just affect you on, you know, on a disease level, it affects you on lots of other levels mm -hmm. as well. And so there's, there's a lot of changes that are happening. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, and we need to get behind that, right? When we did that push for our children to go into medical, go into law, it happened, and now here they are doing the work. And so as we're deciding to get this vaccine, we're, we need to know that if we trusted, if we, if we sent our, our littles, you know, and we sent, and we put our money into the medical, and we put our money into the science, and we put our money into our, our people getting ahead in those fields, we got to trust when they get there, right? We got trust that they are able to make a change, and I think um, with what we're faced with COVID and what we're faced with um, with supporting the idea that we are leading in some of these fields um, and leading a lot of the research in the background, we don't know. Like there's people in the background, like you said, this is a world uh, push towards uh, towards this in this pandemic. So we have to. I feel like as most things for Black folks, we have to get, stand behind our courage, right? We've done it all of the history of, of us knowing who we are, especially as enslaved people coming over. We've had to stand in courage, unlike, uh, unlike most, right? I mean, I'm disconnected from land, disconnected from language, and the recreation of who we are. And I think, like I said, there's nothing about what we've talked about that isn't rearticulated again. But this is the same thing. Even in us trusting the system and going forward and knowing that we have people in the background, knowing that what that means for them to be there, what it means for them to be heard there, what it means for them to actually come through and say, you know, um, and, and, and be respected and their ideas be utilized. We know what that really means and we know what it means for the black physician to stand there with his white colleagues, right? So 
to some degree, when we're taking this vaccine, it's like if we if we fight for that physician, we kind of have to fight for the efficacy of what that person is doing. In that, in, you know, it comes to a spiritual point. Like we kind of have to get behind each other and hope and know, know and hope that our energy, you know, and our parents' energy has ha, is coming to fruition, even if it's slowly drip by drip, it's there, right? And so. Um, I was going to wear a shirt today that said, um, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, right? Because it wanted to go to the history of this idea, but I'm going to go work out, so this is what I wore instead. But, <laughs> but I just wanted to put that out there is that, you know, this is not an easy decision for black folks. Um, we, we put a lot of love into, the, into this system for other people. We put a lot of sacrifice into the system for other people. And now... We put our children through the system. Here, you're how old are you again? Uh, 25. You're going into, you want to go into medical, you want to do those things. You're one of those children who people were like, get there, do that, make it good for all of us, right? And then you'll be representing all kinds of people when you get there, right? And so we have to actually stand behind that as adults, as people who are going to the vaccine, looking at this person, giving me the shot. Like, I have to remember that I rallied for the people who were actually creating that shot. Like, I rallied for the world to come together in this space, right? Like I rallied for that connection. And so it's like, okay, here it is, right? And so it's, we are getting over fear. We are getting over systematic oppression. We are, and I don't wanna say getting over, we are facing it in a, in a way that's really, really vulnerable and at the same time really fierce. And I just wanna give honor to that. Um, and I wanna thank you for being here. So let's explain to folks that we have, we're doing, doing, like I said, a series of three with Lane County Public Health. So this was historic uh, context and background and um, I wanted to bring, as he was talking, I wanted to bring it historic and then current because I kept seeing this, the repetitive way that it was like re-articulating. I want people to critically, I'm always encouraging critically thinking, critically thinking about how we're moving forward. So tell us more for the, so that they can understand what two and three will be. So part two essentially looks at all the current uh, disparities we're facing in Lane County, uh, in Oregon, and across the United States. And so we're going to be bringing a couple of different folks from Lane County who have looked at the uh, who've looked at the data, who've talked to folks, and who have an idea of you know what we're facing. We're also going to bring in a couple of community members who you know work in the field, who have been uh, working with folks and uh, doing their own things, so that they can tell us you know what they've seen as well. And then in part three. We're actually going to do a deep dive into how exactly we're working to change the system or create a new system. Mm. And so we're going to bring in some more folks from uh, Lane County who are working with the uh, BIPOC initiative. We're also going to look at some other ways we're addressing COVID uh, across um, Oregon. Right, right on. And we'll talk about what the BIPOC initiative is because some people may not know. I'm really super excited that um, that all everyone who's watching this video and who will watch this video um, that you tune in every week and you're willing to hear our our lived experience and uh, and how we can hopefully when you take this information or take these experiences with you you understand that the context of when someone walks through your door in your organization the content the historic context is very real and very important to not forget right just to, to deal with respect and time and patience you know um, so I appreciate everyone who tunes in every single week. I appreciate you, Martin, for, uh, for doing this with me and, and, and introducing this concept um, of this three-part series, which is just beautiful right now. Like, we really need to have these conversations. And I am honored to be the voice of the people and asking the questions and saying what I need to say. Because <laughs> I will say what I need to say. So I appreciate you very much for being here. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything you want to say before we jump off? Uh, yeah. It can be anything. Just, so I think yeah. the big thing that I would say is, you know, starting on Monday, uh, what we're going to see is we're going to see pretty much eligibility open up for everybody for the vaccine. So if you're in Lane County uh, and you're trying to, you know, do your traditional methods, those spots might run out quickly. Um, so if those spots do run out and you're BIPOC, you know, call Lane County. Also, you know, as a person who works in the pharmacies, I can tell you this. Um, our pharmacy spots fill up extremely quickly down here um, in Lane County. And so when you're going to set up your appointments for, uh, uh, for the pharmacy at least, you're going to want to go on there, you're going to want to make your online profile, and you're going to want to make your uh, account for at least the Walmart pharmacies on the, the week after. So if, the, um, if we're giving you the uh, vaccines on Fridays and Saturdays, then you know on Sunday, uh, you'll be able to sign up for your vaccine for the next week. So make sure uh, 
if you're needing to time it with work and whatnot, you're going through all those different uh, avenues. You can always sign up for your vaccine through Lane County Public Health as well. Just head to our website and click on the link. Oh, that's excellent, thank you. And you guys, if you have people who don't have cars, who have a hard time getting around, elderly folks, people who are um, disabled, people who are uh, uh, just not good with navigating the system and you are, take them with you, Let, help them out. Um, reach out, let's, let's do this together. There's lots of ways for us to get the folks who really, really need it and who are, I mean, we all need it, but who are really vulnerable um, to the place that they need to be. So, you know, if you've got one, take one type of thing, right? It's like, um, so I appreciate that. Um, there was one thing I wanted to, I felt like I'm like forgetting right now. I wanted to ask you, oh, do you know anything, um, I guess, is this a question for, tell me if this is a question for next week or the third week, about the differences between Pfizer and Moderna and like, honestly, about like, why are some people getting Moderna, some people getting Pfizer, some, why, you know, is it, it has, do you know, has there been like, to the people who are like, oh, for the younger folks, we're giving them this. For the older folks, we're giving them this. Is there anything like that? Um, so we can talk a little bit more about like targeted strategies yeah. and stuff on. Um, <coughs> on the second. On the third. On the third. Okay. Yeah, on the third. Okay. But what I can tell you right now is uh, we're making sure that we're following the guidelines with the vaccines, and we're, what we're really working to do is working to make sure that you know whatever works best for people we're doing what we can to get that accessibility mm -hmm. and so when J&J uh, &J was available that meant that you know certain populations needed uh, single dose because they can't they don't have cars or anything to get to the mm -hmm. pharmacy then we would prioritize that population with the uh, single dose oh. because you know they're again that's a health disparity that they're suffering from we want to make sure that they have access to the vaccine you know, in Ohio, my niece lives in Ohio, and she was saying that they were giving J&J &J to college students, and that makes sense because they have, to, they're, they're, uh, the chances of them repeating and coming back is low, low, low. <laughs> so, so giving them J&J &J and making sure that they all have one dozen get it done makes a whole lot of sense. So, um, okay, I'm, I'm, that's, I have a lot, I want to hear a lot of background reasoning, and that's where my mind goes. So I wanna, I'm, not in the, I'm not in the conversation anymore where I was years and years ago. And so now I'm like, tell me more about what's going on in the background of the conversation. So I, and I know this information is readily available, but I wanna hear what we're talking. I wanna hear what you guys are talking about when you're at work. <laughs> I wanna hear what's happening when y'all are having these conversations. I'm trying to get nosy. So anyway, okay. So I appreciate you so much. Um, and we're going to wrap it up. And if there's no additional questions, I see one more comment. Um, yes, there's a resolution declaring racism a public health crisis uh, going before Lane County Commissioners on Wednesday. And um, my, my good friend here, Amy, Amy is always a, an amazing source of resources. She has tagged a link on the comments underneath um, this video. So please find her, her comment. And um, there's also Amy with the Lane County COVID-19 Clinic link. Thank you so much. And so uh, please, if you are watching this video later and not live, the information is right here to join in. And, and there's a, a portion of that time, dates and times when the public can actually uh, speak and give their, um, give their insight into this idea of, um, of uh, what am I trying to say? The uh, racism as a public health crisis. So I, I, um, it's always a little scary for me when we're talking about that, when white folks who just don't understand it come through it's just like what kind of conversation are we going to have here but don't be afraid get there um speak the truth that's the only way we show up is that we show out so let's do it and um thank you amy for putting those links up thank you everyone for logging in thank you martin for being here part two is coming and we have uh, so a couple special guests in part three part three you'll be here Right? In part two, you're not going to be here. Or are you going to be here still? Maybe. Okay, maybe. <laughs> A strong maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, everybody. And I hope you have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday. Bye. If you are learning and enjoying Black Girl from Eugene, please consider supporting me on my Patreon. It $5 a month makes a t complete difference, and I'm able to maintain the show, equipment, and my guest. Um, you can find my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Black Girl from Eugene underscore one. Thank you.